morning. <laughs> it's good to see everybody this morning. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 2 verses 1 through 30 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can grab one of the Black Pew Bibles uh, that are in the pew rack right in front of you, and you'll find our text this morning on page 737, just like the airplane, 737. <clears throat> well, as you find your way, I want to invite you one more time. Uh, I know there's a lot of up and down this morning, but I invite you one more time uh, to stand with me, if you're able, in honor of the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in, and they stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. And they answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered uh, the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. But then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? 
Then Ariok made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the dream or the interpretation to the king. And then Daniel went to his house, made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to speak, seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells within him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, and he went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Ariok brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanter, or magician, or astrologer can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Let's pray together. Lord, we do come to worship and to praise you this morning because you are the God who has made himself known to us. I pray now as we turn our attention to your word that we would hear it, that we would receive it, Lord, that we would believe it by faith. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, it's been about four months since we last looked at the book of Daniel, so I want to take just a second uh, to start out to remind us of what we've seen so far uh, just in chapter one. The last time when we looked at Daniel chapter one, we learned about four faithful Hebrew youths, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These four young men were taken captive from their homes in Jerusalem 
by King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon. And they were taken into the king's court to serve the king there. Uh, they were given a new education. They were given a new diet. And they were given new names. We said last time, in essence, they were given new Babylonian identities. These young men, even in the midst of this difficult situation, resolved themselves that they would not be defiled by the king's food. And so they faithfully and boldly stood firm in the Lord their God. As a result, God blessed them and gave them favor. Uh, He gave them wisdom far beyond their peers. And we learn from chapter 1, verse 17, that God gave to Daniel specifically this ability to understand and interpret dreams. Now, when we read through that the first time, that skill might have seemed pretty odd at first glance, but we'll see today and we'll see again uh, in the coming weeks that Daniel's ability to understand these dreams and interpretations was God preparing him and his companions for the troubles and the trials that awaited them in Babylon. They were faithful in the small things. And God was preparing them to faithfulness in very big things. Though, just like Daniel and his friends, Scripture teaches us that we as Christians today are strangers in a strange land. We trust today in Daniel's God, who has revealed himself to us through his son Jesus, and who has given us his spirit and his word to instruct us to live faithfully, as strangers in a strange world. So I want to remind us of the main theme and the main purpose of the book of Daniel. These are two kind of guiding principles that I said last time will lead us through our study and our application of this book. You can see them there in your notes. First, Daniel's main idea. Main idea of the book of Daniel is that God is in control even in the most difficult circumstances, sustaining his followers faith. You see a picture of God's sovereignty, even in the harshest of trials, sustaining his people. We see Daniel's main purpose, the main purpose that we're to glean, point of application that we're to glean from Daniel's book, is to encourage believers to live faithfully as citizens of God's kingdom. In in a way, you could say that Daniel is, is kind of an emergency survival guide for believers as we walk through this world. Well, there are three main points, three main principles I want to pull out of these first 30 verses of this, kind of the beginning of the story of King Nebuchadnezzar's troubling dream. We we pick up here in the story just a few years after our friends were taken into King Nebuchadnezzar's court. And what we find here is a mighty and powerful king who believed himself to be on equal footing with his gods, greatly troubled and sleepless. So he turns to the only place that he knows to take his troubles and his trials, and that's to his court of wise men. That brings us to our first principle that we see here in the text. We see the fragility of human wisdom and might the fragility of human wisdom and might. 
I don't know if you noticed as I read, but two times in these first three verses, we are told that the king's spirit was deeply troubled and that his sleep had left him. So here's a great and powerful conquering king who believed himself to be a god, and he finds himself struggling with his fragile humanity. He's troubled by his ignorance of what the dream is, perhaps certainly ignorant of what the dream means. He's powerless to do anything about it, and the guy just desperately needs some sleep. All three of these things actually show us that King Nebuchadnezzar was, in fact, not a god, that he was just a human like you and me. Perhaps you know exactly what it's like to be in Nebuchadnezzar's troubled and sleepless shoes. So King Nebuchadnezzar turns to his council. He turns to this council that we are told is made up of magicians and enchanters and sorcerers, and then this group uh, that the scripture calls the Chaldeans. And he makes them a command. It's it's a two-sided command that Nebuchadnezzar says. He, He wants them to make known to him both the dream and its interpretation. And so perhaps you noticed, as I read the text, that this phrase, to know, to know, it stands out in the story. In fact, the word to know in these verses happens 17 times. 17 times. So the, the heart, right, the heart of the problem of King Nebuchadnezzar is he desperately needs to know what this dream is and what it means. But there's a problem. The king is asking of these so-called wise men something that is impossible. Two times they say to the king, if you would just tell us the content of the dream, we will interpret it for you. We'll, We'll let you know what the dream means. But old King Neb isn't having any of that. Right? The text says, that his word was firm, that these wise men must tell him both the dream's content and its interpretation. There was a debate here, and I'll let you decide what you think is right, whether or not Nebuchadnezzar was testing these wise men to know if their interpretations would be legitimate, or perhaps Nebuchadnezzar made these demands because he himself couldn't remember the content of the dream. He could only remember that it troubled him. Either way, these wise men find themselves in a really bad position. You might say they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because Nebuchadnezzar says that if they don't tell him both the dream's content and its interpretation, he is going to tear them limb from limb and lay their houses to waste. Meaning that not only is he going to wipe them out, but he's going to wipe their families out as well. It's an interesting play on words in verse 8. Look down at verse 8. That the king does not know the dream's interpretation, but he says, I know with certainty what the content or consequences will be for you if you do not meet my demands. The king Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I don't know what the dream means. Maybe I don't even know what the dream was, but here's what I do know. If you don't meet my demands, there is but one consequence for you. What a nice guy to be around. (laughs) 
You think it was fun to serve on King Nebuchadnezzar's court? <laughs> I mean, you guys think that your bosses are tough to deal with on bad days. This guy is crazy. The heart of Nebuchadnezzar's problem is the same as the heart of our problem today. Here's the heart of the problem. We are not God. As much as we might like to think that we are in control of our lives, we are not God. As much as Nebuchadnezzar and those around him wanted to believe that he was equal to God, this text shows us from the very outset that he clearly is not. Verse 10, I think is really important in this section. Look down at verse 10 again. It's the most important verse in this first section. It's, it's a confession of the failure of King Nebuchadnezzar's wise men and their gods. They say that the thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. I wonder for you, brothers and sisters, where you turn in times of trouble. Where do you go when your heart is troubled? Now, often we turn to human wisdom and insight. I mean, how many of you in times of trouble turn to a friend or to the counsel of another only to find that everything that they have to say brings no hope and no peace whatsoever in your life. Perhaps you've been that friend who so desperately wants to say something or to do something for your heartbroken friend that will fix all of their heartache and all of their trouble. Here's the realization for us this morning. We are not God. We are not God. And as well-meaning as we may be, we cannot reveal the secret things of God. Friends, our limited, finite human wisdom is a dead-end street. We'll come back to more on this in just a second, but let's look at what Daniel does in response to this trouble. Point number two there, or second thing, we see Daniel's response to God's divine revelation. So as a result of the wise men's failure, King Neb called Arioch, the captain of his guard, and he commanded him to utterly wipe out the entire host of wise men and counselors who served in the king's court. And guess who the top of the class was? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, these four Hebrew youths. Verse 13 describes this dangerous situation in which these young Hebrew men find themselves. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. That's a bad day. <laughs> you get the knock on the door. Hello, Daniel, we're here to kill you. Not exactly a good day. Now, I want to be really clear here that Daniel is not the true hero of this story. But I do think that Daniel's response to this situation is instructive for us. 
I have six different observations here, and I, I won't dwell too long on these, but if you're taking notes, here are six little things to write down as we notice how Daniel responds in this situation. First, Daniel responded in wisdom and discretion. Look down at verse 14. And Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard. You see, Daniel doesn't seek here to argue. He, he doesn't seek to fight back. He doesn't get angry. And he doesn't tuck tail and run away. He sought to understand what was going on. And he proceeded to act, the scripture says, in wisdom and discretion. I think this is a good word for us as Christians today, living in a world that increasingly holds our Lord, our faith, and our scriptures in disdain. Too often, we are prone to quick and sinful responses to our lost world rather than listening to our Lord Jesus' instruction in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Daniel responds in wisdom and discretion. The second thing we see is that Daniel takes initiative. Daniel takes the initiative here. Look at verse 16. Immediately upon hearing the situation surrounding the king's command, it says, Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now you notice here in the sequence of events that Daniel has not yet stopped and prayed. He, he hasn't yet even sought out the answer to King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nor does Daniel wait around to see if anybody else might step up and put their neck on the line. Instead, he takes initiative. He steps out in faith. And I think this is a really practical point for us today. So often, Christians are paralyzed by fear that we are going to misstep or we're going to mess something up. Perhaps we say, you know, I'm just going to kind of wait around and see what happens you know, maybe God will reveal to me his will. Maybe I just need to let go here and let God take care of it. No, God has made everything known in his scripture that we need to know. Sometimes we just need to take the initiative and get to work. So he takes initiative. Number three. Daniel prays for mercy. Daniel prays for mercy. It's interesting in verses 17 and 18 that Daniel doesn't pray alone for mercy. He, he turns to Hananiah and to Mishael and to Azariah, and he tells them to pray for mercy with him. And also notice that the text does not say that Daniel and his friends prayed for God to reveal the content and interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It simply says that they prayed for mercy that they might live and not die. To seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning the mystery so that his companions might not be destroyed. God knew exactly what his boys needed. And he had prepared them for this moment. 
I think there's an important side note here that's instructive to us. You remember how I, I said before that so often when people come to us in desperation, we try to use our wisdom or we try to use our words to fix their problems? Do you notice in this story what Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah don't do when Daniel comes to them? They don't speculate. They don't tell Daniel, you know, you should just have fought back. You should have stood for your rights. You know, Daniel has a God, God has a purpose in all of this. Maybe you should just let go and let him deal with it. No, the indication is, is that upon hearing this news, Daniel's companions just got down on their knees with Daniel and cried out to God for mercy. I think that's probably the best response for us when we are tempted to try to fix other people's problems with our own human wisdom. Just get down on your knees with them and pray to God for mercy. So Daniel and his friends, they, they prayed for mercy. Number four, Daniel worshiped God. Daniel worshiped God. God knew exactly what Daniel needed and he gave it to him. And Daniel's immediate response to God's revelation is not to turn and to run to King Nebuchadnezzar uh, to, to, to try to work the situation out immediately. No, Daniel takes time to cry out to God in worship. We could spend an entire sermon unpacking Daniel's praise here, but we, we just don't have time for that. Suffice it to say that the content of Daniel's praise here is that God sovereignly preserves his people. He does everything that a, a sovereign God needs to do to preserve his people. He gives wisdom and insight. He sets up kings and he tears down kings. He changes times and seasons. Uh, he gives wisdom and knowledge to those uh, who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things because uh, the darkness is his light to him. The heart of Daniel's praise is that God's sovereign control is still at work, even in desperate times. One commentator I read this week says this of Daniel's example here. For us, it's as if the Holy Spirit reaches out an invisible hand from the Bible's page and grabs us by the collar and whispers, now what should you say to this? Is Daniel the only one who owes God praise? Certainly not. Certainly not. Number five. Daniel was confident in God's help. He was confident in God's help. Verse 24 tells us that Daniel spoke to Arioch and said, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Risky move, Daniel. Because if you get it wrong, guess what's going to happen to you? Off with his head. But Daniel's not concerned about that. He runs toward the danger. But the, I can't help but think here that the source of Daniel's confidence, the source of Daniel's courage is not his own ability, but it's what God had given him. We just sang this. We just sang this. I turn to wisdom, not my own. 
for every battle you have known. My confidence will rest in you. Your love endures and your ways are good. Daniel was confident in God's help. Sixth, lastly, Daniel was humble. He was humble. Now, verses 25 through 30, they show us a, a big contrast between Daniel and Arioch. Did you notice that? Notice in verse 25 that the Arioch is quick to try and to take the credit for God's revelation given to Daniel. He goes before the king, and, and perhaps he heard that conversation earlier between the king and the other wise men, so-called, and, and he heard Nebuchadnezzar say, if you make known to me the content of the dream and its interpretation, I will give you great wealth and power and stature and all these different things. And so Arioch, I think, is trying to get his slice of the pie here. He goes to the king and he says, I found, right? I found among the exiles someone to make known to you the dream and its interpretation. So King Neb, he turns to Daniel and he asks the young man, are you able to make known the dream and its interpretation? And look at what Daniel says in verse 27. All this build up to this moment, Daniel's finally standing before this guy and he says, can you make known to me the dream and its interpretation? And Daniel says, no. <laughs> no. No man can do what the king is asked. And then verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Daniel says, I can't do anything that you ask, King Nebuchadnezzar. But there is a God in heaven. A God. Not the God's little g. A God. Big G, who is in heaven, and he has made known to the king what will be in latter days. Friends, I, I, I don't know what's troubling you this morning. I don't, I don't know what difficulties you might be facing in your life, but here's what I do know. If verse 28 were not true, we could not put one foot in front of the other. I don't know what troubles you. I, I, I don't know what causes you to stay awake at night. But God does know. And he has made himself known to us. Verse 28 reveals the true hero of the story. It's not Daniel. And Daniel's quick to point that credit away from himself and to God, the God of heaven who reveals mysteries. And the question for you and for me today is where do you turn in times of trouble? When sin and temptation and trouble and distress are knocking at your door, where do you go? Now, the answer to that question brings us to our third point. Point number three, God's merciful, merciful provision in Jesus. God's merciful provision in Jesus. <clears throat> In our times of trouble, in our sinfulness, and in our distress, we should turn to Jesus who rescues us from our sin. <laughs> well, let me show you where I get this. God is so good. I want to show you that. Look back up at verse 11. 
These King Nebuchadnezzar's wise men here, they say something kind of profound. They say, no one can show it to the king except the God whose dwelling is not with flesh. You see, these polytheistic wise men worshipped pagan gods who not only were they distant, they were powerless to save their lives. But Daniel's God, our God, the one true and living God, now he is an entirely different God. These pagan gods were distant. They weren't close. They weren't near. But the one true and living God is entirely different. Flip forward to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 14. Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the Word, now this Word, who was in the beginning with God and who was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see that? Here's the good news for you today. Jesus Christ the eternal Son, second person of the eternal triune Godhead, took on flesh and became a man to live a perfect life for you, to die on the cross in your place, and to be raised again from the dead for your salvation and for mine. Unlike those pagan gods, our God draws near. And his name is Jesus. I wonder if you trust him today. What a mighty God we serve. He's revealed to us the way of salvation. And even though God doesn't reveal to us everything we may want to know, he still knows what's in the darkness because dark is light to him. He may not tell us how to avoid cancer. He may not tell us why cancer comes. He may not tell us what stocks we can get to make us rich. He may not tell us who is going to be the next president or what countries will still exist in 20 years' time. But if your trust is in Jesus, brothers and sisters, you can walk into the unknowns of your future with certain hope and without Let's pray.